Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Have you ever shown up to an event or party and noticed that someone is wearing the same outfit as you? I had a similar experience lately. I've been planning this series that's been inspired by the lyrics of Oh Holy Night for a while, and it's one of my absolute favorite Christmas songs. And the lyrics beautifully paint these pictures about how the birth of Jesus sets us free. And so throughout this month, we've looked at how it is that Jesus coming to the world gives us liberty from sin and error, from exhaustion, from arrogance, and from injustice and oppression. So you can probably imagine my embarrassment when on December 11th, Taylor Swift drops her ninth studio album titled Evermore, which is pretty close to the title of this message, which is Evermore Proclaim. And I was immediately like, oh man, I hope nobody gets us confused, which is probably pretty safe though. She used her months of isolation to drop a couple of albums and a documentary, and I used my months of isolation to gain about seven pounds, so it's different. That was not my plan for this year. I had a very different intention for 2020. You probably did too. I'm not a resolutions guy in general, but at the beginning of each year, I like to throw out an attempt at a humorous resolution on Twitter. So here is mine for January 1st, 2020. Resolving for 2020 to avoid significant measurable changes. With so much discontinuity in the world, I figured a little static reliability could be helpful. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. In short, my resolution for 2020 was to change as little as possible. Now, in most years, that would be the easiest conceivable resolution you can imagine, but not for 2020. Oh, no. No, instead, we got to experience one of the most significant seismic cultural shifts in a lifetime. I don't believe in jinxes, and I can't for a second believe that we experienced a deadly pandemic, significant racial tension, and a rancorous political divide simply because God saw my plans and wanted to have a good laugh. But this year dropped my best intentions straight into the dumpster fire that has been 2020. And though that resolution was offered tongue-in-cheek, I have to confess, this year has unfolded in a way that has caused a lot of frustration a lot of disappointment, no shortage of distress, and some significant questions for me and my life, and maybe for yours too. One of the biggest questions ended up being, what do we do when we can't do what we thought we were supposed to do? What do we do when we can't do what we thought we were supposed to do? What is our purpose when we lose our plans? It's a question of significance. A question about why we're here, and it's a question that Jesus was born to answer in every circumstance. And that takes us to our first lesson this evening. Knowing Jesus is more significant than we understand. Knowing Jesus is more significant than we understand. This is right after the birth of Jesus, eight days after his birth, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. 
So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first boy, child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. And so they offered the sacrifice required by the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout man and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him, and Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. I've been watching some of the making of the movie Frozen 2 on Disney+. Plus. The movie was good and I enjoyed it and everything, but it's not very frequently that you get a chance to look behind the scenes of the making of a major motion picture like this. And it was obviously edited pretty well so that there was just enough drama in the process to show the people sweating production deadlines and creative struggles, but Disney definitely painted themselves in the very best light. For example, I want to believe that Disney animation filmmakers and executives never cuss when they're frustrated and their timelines are collapsing before their eyes, just as the documentary would lead us to believe. But that's the benefit of producing your own documentary, I suppose. I imagine in a documentary I'd make about myself, I would be a little bit taller. But one of the things that captured my attention was the writing of the song, The Next Right Thing. Princess Anne is having a moment of near hopeless desperation. And when, her, when she struggles to know what to do with the overwhelming odds that she sees stacked against her, she sings a beautiful song. It's a song about not giving in to the obstacles, a song about persevering when everything is just too much, and Kristen Bell's lovely, disnified voice sings, just do the next right thing. Take a step, step again. It's all that I can do. The next right thing. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take but break it down to this next breath, this next step. This next choice is one I can make. So I'll walk through this night stumbling blindly toward the light and do the next right thing. Simeon was a faithful guy. He knew one thing, he would have a chance to meet the one that God had promised. He would meet the one that would come to rescue God's beloved people. And he went to the place where he was most likely to do that. The Holy Spirit led Simeon there. And it's probably safe to say that Jesus' eighth day of life was probably not Simeon's first day at the great temple where all the people who were religious Jewish people of Jesus' time would go to offer sacrifice and to be at the required festivals. There's a pretty good chance that Simeon had been hanging out at the temple since he received that promise from God. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to wait on something important that seemed like it was taking forever, but most of us experience a temptation to try and move things along at a pace that's more acceptable to our level of patience. 
There are times when maybe I'll turn right out of a parking lot instead of turning left, and I'll go around a whole block instead of turning left onto a busy street because even though one takes just as long as the other, being able to move gives me a sense like I'm accomplishing something, right? In impatience, Simeon could have veered from his pattern, but the promise he received from God that he would not die until he has seen the Lord, his next right thing wasn't simply acting busy but seeking Jesus. I'm certain there were days when it was discouraging. I'm positive Simeon went out in good and bad weather. I'm sure he went on days when it was, he was bounding with enthusiasm and in days when he was drained of energy. And I'm sure there were times when it seemed like this promise would never be fulfilled, when it would never happen. The patience this called for must have been overwhelming at times. But Simeon wanted the good thing that God had in store for him. And that meant Simeon needed to keep on doing the next right thing. Why? Because Simeon realized that the dark night his people had experienced also had an expiration date. He was told that the greatest gift God could share with the world would happen in his lifetime, and he didn't consider that a small deal. Simeon understood that God's light for the entire world was within reach. And Simeon understood that this was nothing to take for granted. It's not something to fit if there's time. It's not an afterthought if he was feeling up to it. This was the thing, the only thing. It was his very purpose. And if we understand what we've received in this gift of Jesus, then we'd know that too. Life gets difficult for us, and we don't always know how to adapt. Circumstances and situations try our patience and get on our very last nerve, and we feel overwhelmed. And this, this last year has certainly put many of our best laid plans in the shredder. But what if our message tonight is that each of us should recognize that Jesus is a big deal? If Jesus is who we celebrate him to be tonight, he is of ultimate importance. And if he's not who we celebrate him to be tonight, he is of very little importance. But the one thing Jesus cannot be is sort of important. And if that's the case, what if recalibrating and repurposing our plans for the terrible battering that they've received through this wild year is as simple as saying, God, if my life's purpose is to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. Could you help me to know my next right step? I've been so frustrated with how my plans have been thrown off. Please show me what your plans are for my life. And then we listen. God promises that we will find him when we seek him with our whole hearts. So we listen with an open heart and an open spirit. And when God lets us know what the next right thing is as we live for Jesus, we get to respond in faith. Our second lesson tonight, sharing Jesus is more purposeful than we acknowledge. Sharing Jesus is more purposeful than we acknowledge. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. 
This Anna's story is very similar to Simeon's, but with some slight and important differences. See, Anna was a prophet, and up until the recent events, the developments with the announcement to Zechariah about the birth of his son John and the announcement to Mary about the birth of her son Jesus, it seemed like God had been pretty quiet for a while. And since prophets often share messages and insights on behalf of God, and since it seemed like God had been pretty quiet for a while, Anna was probably just as busy as the clerk at a shop that develops film would be today. It's hard to turn out much of a product if nobody's dropping anything off. But Anna's circumstances did not change her calling or her gifting. Anna was a prophet. And instead of fretting about it and folding when it seemed like God was keeping everything hushed, Anna did the next right thing that was faithful to her calling. She basically lived at the great temple. She prayed, she abstained and fasted, she sought the heart of God with a steadfast devotion. And in 84 years of life, with a lot of years and a brief marriage in her rearview mirror, I'm sure she saw plenty of reasons to throw in the towel on this whole messenger of God business. She had experienced bad news. She had lived through a long period of no news. But today, on Jesus' eighth day of life, Anna received more than a message from God. Because she was true to her identity and calling, she knew from her creator, she didn't just receive a word from God, she looked into the eyes of the word of God. The promise and purpose of her God who had taken on flesh and had moved into the neighborhood. And once she saw that promise fulfilled, once she met the baby who would grow into the Savior, who would rescue not just Jerusalem, but all of creation, this faithful servant of God turned all of that time that she had spent in fasting and praying into fuel to tell everyone she knew about the wonderful thing that she had experienced. I shook hands with Harry Carey one time in the basement of Water Tower Place, and I'll probably talk about that for the rest of my life, but Anna met Jesus. And she knew just what to do about it because she had dedicated herself from hearing from her God. She praised God and told everyone about what she had witnessed. And I bet it probably even got pretty annoying sometimes. But think about what she got to experience. People of Anna's time still didn't have a great deal of respect for women, particularly vulnerable, widowed women like Anna. Life hadn't gone well for her, and so who was she to dispense wisdom from God anyhow? A lot of folks point to the years of ministry of Jesus as kind of the way that Christ started opening doors for people other than professionally religious men to have roles and influence in the life of faith. And certainly they would look to Mary Magdalene being the first witness to Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday as evidence that all of us have the opportunity to share God's good news. But that door was opened even with the song Jesus' mother Mary offered as she magnified the loving justice of our God. And it was with Anna, the widow, who her culture would largely have forgotten that helped us to know that God wants to use any of us, all of us, to share about the hope and the rescue that has come to us in Jesus. You may have been waiting forever for an indicator of your purpose, and it may have felt like a long time, like life has left you in a shuttered film developing kiosk in an abandoned mall parking lot. 
You may hear that you're not the right person to share about Jesus, and maybe we think that God is being silent in our lives, but it could just be that God is inviting us to be the messengers of good news, and that maybe we're hesitant, afraid, or filled with self-doubt to the point where we won't share it. But please share it. Because I'm almost certain that there's somebody in your life who needs to hear about the hope and love available to them through Jesus. And it may just be that God has invited you to be the one to tell them about it, to show them about it. Our third lesson this evening is this. If Jesus is our purpose, there's hope in every circumstance. If Jesus is our purpose, there's hope in every circumstance. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 The Apostle Paul writes, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Viktor Frankl was a prisoner at several different concentration camps, including Auschwitz during World War II, and as a doctor of psychology who specialized in depression, Frankl determined that if he should survive the experience of terror and suffering he endured during his imprisonment, he would use his experience to help better understand those who find purpose and hope and how that hope allows them to survive devastating situations. He found that prisoners who had a sense of purpose, particularly those people who had a sense of responsibility to others, would find ways to persevere. And in an environment when lines of dignity and dehumanization are crossed hourly, the sorts of pain and humiliation they'd experienced, they had very little control over many of the factors of their lives. But Frankel found, in fact, that when every other human freedom is taken away, that we still have the freedom to choose how we respond. He thought that we needed to stop asking about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, and instead think of ourselves as those who are being asked by life daily and hourly. And when we discover our purpose, the hardships of our life can alter our course, but they will not destroy us. Frankl gives us an image of two people with a daily calendar. The pessimist tears off a page a day, believing that this thinning calendar is a sign of distress because it's one more wasted day of an ever-shortening life. The person who has purpose reflects on each page by listing what's been accomplished that day, by giving thanks for love that has been shared, by realizing that the purpose wasn't extinguished that day, and by having the hope to look forward to tomorrow. Some of us have made it through to this point in the year with the mantra of just survive somehow. Just make it through this tunnel until there's light. And maybe you held on purely in hopes of a better day and a return to normal, a normal that may never look like the life that existed before this outbreak. But if what you have tonight is the fact that you have survived so far, the stress and the trials of 2020, you've made it through, praise God. Some days that's plenty. Honestly, some days that is enough. 
This last scripture I read was written by the Apostle Paul. He was a follower of Jesus, and he endured a whole lot of hardship for the purpose that he found to be much greater than himself. And he's telling a church at a place called Corinth that even though they're facing some serious hardship, they're facing real persecution, they have something that allows them to endure. They have purpose. Their purpose is to grow deeper and deeper in the love of Jesus and to share that love more and more. How is that helpful? Well, Paul reminds them that our current trials are temporary, but our life in Jesus lasts forever. We might have to ask Jesus for new strength to endure every day or every hour or maybe with each breath. But the good thing about asking something of God is that God has a limitless supply of strength to help us. Paul lets these struggling people know that even our trials and hardship can be purposeful if we allow them to be. And I don't believe that God has sent a horrible disease into the world to teach us a lesson, but I do believe that this time has really been formational if we choose to grow in our patience, our generosity, or if we choose to grow in hopefulness, our trust, and in our love. If we choose to let God use every situation to recreate us so that we're more like Jesus, then there isn't any circumstance that can't advance that purpose. Not a single situation that can't help us become more Christ-like. And God can use every step along our pathway and all that comes across it to fill our lives with incredible purpose. And it's not just for me. And it's not just for you. If we allow our lives to be surrendered to this purpose, the very reason Jesus came into the world, then it's a purpose that makes a difference in our lives, our families, our friendships, our neighbors, our enemies, and even for people all around the globe. It makes an impact today and tomorrow and for eternity. Jesus was born to set us free from a sense of insignificance. He stepped down from his throne and the continuous adoration of heaven perfectly melded the humanity and divinity, lived in a life of steadfast love, and died as a sacrifice on our behalf, all so we could know our value in the eyes of our Creator, so we could know what it means to be fully loved, without condition, and to let our identities be marked not by what we've done or by how much we make or even by the mistakes that we've made, to let our lives be marked by love that changes us from the inside out, and because our lives are changed, the world around us changes as well. Our lives can lay in sin and error, in exhaustion, in arrogance, in injustice, but it's not who we're made to be. When Jesus appears, our soul feels its worth. We receive the thrill of hope, and tomorrow begins with a new and glorious morn. And so tonight... Tonight we fall on our knees and we let our voices join with the angel chorus singing the praises of the God who came to be with us. This is a night divine and when we know that Jesus is our purpose, our hope and our savior, Christ is born in us too. He is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. And as long as we have breath in this life and the next, We have purpose, his power and glory evermore proclaimed.